Ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabres podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He is a man with the genetic makeup of Dr. Hemlock and Wrecker. It's... Hey, hey. It's Devor. Devor, I'm not 100% sure what that says about you. I've been trying to figure that out all week as I worked (laughs) on my notes, but... uh. We'll leave it to the audience to decide. Tonight, guys, we are going to be covering the second half of The Bad Batch Season 2. So to do that, we had to bring back Omega's other sister. It's Amanda. I do have three sisters already, so I can add one more to the mix. See? Well, and technically, you'd be adding two. Mm, true, you know? true. Plus a lot of brothers. Plus a lot of brothers. Well, <laughs> one less than before. Um, no. Or is, or is no. it? Or is it? We will talk about that. We will talk about that and so, so much more. Uh, this is going to be a really exciting spoiler-filled episode. So if you are not caught up on The Bad Batch, we will be talking about the uh, second half in particular, but probably the entirety of the season. And if you haven't uh, listened to our first Bad Batch episode where we covered the first half of the season, make sure you go back and give that uh, a quick listen because it was a lot of fun. With 16 episodes, we thought, you know, this will be nice to, to really delve into eight at a time rather than try and cover all, you know, 16 at one time, which I think... Uh, after making our list was both a good decision and a bad decision because these lists were were quite hard to put together uh, for a multitude of reasons. But before we get into that, uh, Amanda, we haven't had you on the show for a hot minute. So what have you been Star Warsing lately? Well, I got to interview a fascinating woman from Finland. Her name's Laura, and that is for the Patreon. I'm just working on the editing, and it should be up soon this month. Do you mean the Patreon, where people can donate money and give books to kids? Oh, absolutely. Those books that my students love so much. And I have so many of them in my closet that need to be (laughs) shipped out. So please, God, if you know a teacher, if you literally can Google search teacher or school near me, nominate a teacher so we can get books into their classrooms because while books are being taken out of people's classrooms, we are are working to put books back in and put high interest books back into the classroom. So if you guys could do that, and of course the link will be in the show notes for you, or you can just go over to clashingsabers.net and nominate nominate a teacher. Uh, We do have one teacher that will be getting a box uh, very soon. And hopefully uh, after this episode, some more uh, to come. Devor, what about you? What have you been Star Warsing lately? Well, apart from, of course, The Mandalorian, which at this time is still ongoing, I have been making my way well and truly through Phase 2 of The High Republic. So I have, at this point, I have gotten through Path of Deceit and Convergence. I am currently listening to Battle of Jeddah, and then I will circle back to Middle Grade and then, you know, get through cataclysm and planet x and all that stuff so which just i made came it out. i'm here 
today. Uh, Cataclysm and uh, Planet X came out, well, not necessarily just today, but, but it came out this week as a time of recording. So last week when you guys are listening to it. And uh, what what are your thoughts? I mean, Lindsay and I have talked in depth about, about all of these things in season two, or excuse me, phase two. But where are you at with it? How do you, do you like it, dislike it? I love Phase 2. I am really, really jiving with Phase 2. Because, like, with Phase 1 of High Republic, I remember, Brandon, hearing you talk about this. And it was, like, this moment was, like, oh, my God, like, there's there's someone else who's kind of feel like feels like me on this, which is that. My, my sort of feeling with Phase with the Phase 2 books was I enjoyed them all. They were all well-written. They were all good books. But none of them were really kind of top tenors for me. That's kind of how that's kind of where my vibe was with High Republic, where I thought like all these books are good, I'm enjoying them, but it's not like my Star Wars necessarily. It's not like the thing that I'm latching onto. But Phase Two has been really different for me for like I think there's a couple of reasons for it. It has just really clicked with me. Like all of the books like that I've done so far have just been super super good. Like I I did Convergence first. I loved Convergence. I loved Path of Deceit and am loving Battle of Jeddah. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that I think are really grabbing me with about Phase 2, which is that I think it is, for one, I think it's taking a lot of the things that are really strong about Phase 1 with also some of the lessons learned of Phase 1. I think it is much more narratively tighter than Phase 1. You you don't have as much of the the sprawl in Phase 1 where you've got all of these stories and all of these characters kind of spread out across the galaxy. You're much more focused in, like, who you're talking about and the kind of central storylines are all very closely related together. I also find, in terms of antagonists, I, I'm finding the path of the open hand, at least for me, they are somewhat more interesting than the Nile. I think just because there is a little bit of that sort of like real world relatability connection to it, you know, particularly like when you look at like, let's say something like Path of Deceit and the story you get there about like belief and you're raised in this group, but then you're introduced to someone and they open your perspective and how do you react? So like a lot of the stuff that's going on with the path and some of the members, I sort of connect with that a little bit more than I do with like not super caring all that much about like the Nile and like what they want. So yeah, I think for those reasons and other ones, I've just been really, really jazzed about phase two and I've been like really in to the High Republic in a way that I wasn't totally in with phase one. Not that, again, not that phase one was bad. Well, phase one felt a lot like it was setting up this new time period of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. So they were making it sprawling so they could go back later and tell future stories. Because I think we'll essentially have the the three phases of the official High Republic era because they've kind of talked about how they're doing it in the original trilogy. You go back in the prequels and then you go to the sequels kind of set up as, as the movies go. And so I think that we'll have that and that'll be the established like High Republic timeline and then they'll tell intermittent stories throughout for from now until, you know, the end of Star Wars whenever that happens. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely tighter and... The mother is just a, such a compelling villain. Um, you know, we Lindsay and I talked on our Battle of Jeddah Part 2 episode with, about the mother and how she is very Palpatine-esque. And I'm not going to say much about Battle of Jeddah because I don't want to ruin it for you. But she's very Palpatine-esque, but in a new and refreshing kind of way where she is puppeting a lot of things 
but her motivations and the way that she does it and her intentions and stuff are different than Palpatine just trying to power grab, uh, which is, it's fascinating because with Palpatine, you know, like, you know what's up with him. He's trying to live forever. He's trying to have more power. Like, that's, that's it. That's the goal. And with the mother, it's much more complex and she has different facets of her goal as, as that develop as you go along um, through the story. And, and, and Amanda, I know you are obsessed with Path of Deceit and um, <laughs> a little bit um, ready to join the Path of the Open Hand. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you, the listener <laughs> to decide. But what is it about the mother and the Path of the Open Hand that you think is making it a more compelling story than just uh, what we had with the Nile in phase one? So I was thinking um, with not this week's Mandalorian, but the last week's, how there's this synergy going on, and I don't know that it's intentional, about cults and how they're making us think about cults. And that's also made me turn inward on my faith, not in a faith-shattering way, but just thinking about it in more depth, which is never a bad thing. And just what is the difference between the Children of the Watch, and the Path of the Open Hand. It is a fascinating thing because Lindsay has talked about how she she would join this cult if she was in the Star Wars galaxy. Like, she could see herself joining this cult. And uh, it, it does. It challenges you whether I think whether you're religious or not. Like, we all believe something. Um, that's a pretty universal human experience is, is believing in of something, course. right? Yes. And yes. so yes, it, it's, ni- it's, it's interesting to be able to see on the back end of it, like what causes us to follow someone or something, um, especially those of us who are, are good-hearted people. Because that's one of the things that's so interesting in this phase is like all of the people – save for uh you know axel Greylark has has some issues he's got to work through but they're all like genuinely good people trying to better their part of the galaxy from different perspectives you know and they're all those attempts to do the right thing put them in opposing positions which i think creates a, a tension that's a lot more compelling than just the you know, oh, here's the Nile, the bad guys, and here's the Jedi, the good guys, and watch them fight. Well, it makes you think. Um, what they say makes a lot of sense. And we've seen a limited scope of a large galaxy. So who's to say that butterfly effect is not in effect? Um, so it's just an interesting thought experiment. So yeah. I, I, I definitely go into more detail uh in our our episode review of Battle of <laughs> Jeddah about that, but it's kind of like I'm not a, saying I believe it. Yeah, it is interesting to think about. It's kind of a prove it to me situation. Uh, you can yeah. prove you just saved yeah. this person's life. You can't prove that that killed somebody else for me. Uh, yeah, th- th- there's there there's a little bit with like there there's a little bit like the whole like falsifiability. Like, does it actually meet that? Like, can you actually prove them wrong? The answer is like kind of no. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Correlation causation. Yeah. Correlation causation. It really yeah. is. It yeah. really is. And. But it makes you think. And isn't that what good literature does or good entertainment? Well, yeah, absolutely. And and I think something else to think of uh, is the fact that 
this stuff with the path of the open hand is happening in the outer rim. And I think something that the mother, like Palpatine does stuff all behind the scenes and he takes advantage of people and stuff like that. But the mother is kind of almost more preying on the undereducated and um, more, I guess for lack of a better term, backwoods uh, type individuals, you know, the more rural people in the Outer Rim, which are reflective of of our more undereducated areas um, in our world, right? And those are places where cult leaders can go in and they can get a, a, a hold of somebody a lot easier. And then as that movement starts to grow, eventually, you know, it can it can grow out of proportion. Um, and it's going to, you know, it's, it's easy to get somebody who doesn't have those critical thinking skills into that mindset of like, oh, no, this as this person's explaining to me how the galaxy works. And it's a logical argument, you know, when you can't identify the fallacies, you're like, yeah, it makes sense. And so it makes more sense than what they are saying over here. And so I'm going to follow that. And it kind of creates a snowball effect. So I think Palpatine is putting everybody in different positions that he needs them in for his advantage but the mother is more relying on that snowball effect of I'm going to get one person with good intentions and I'm going to lead them to follow me and that's going to get the people that follow them to follow me and the people that and you just continue to grow the path of the open hand into what I'm imagining is going to be the Nile like it hasn't been said yet I I'm working through cataclysm right now who knows um I am kind of interested in the fact that we have the end of phase two is Cataclysm and um, then we're going to get the young adult novel, which is Path of Vengeance, I believe is what it's called, comes out in May. Yeah. Um, and we still don't really have a clear, like, this is going to become the Nile kind of thing other than Marta Rowe and Marcion Rowe having the same last name. So I'm going to be really intrigued to see how they wrap this part of the story up because it doesn't really feel like it's close to a conclusion yet which could be really good because it could just like completely destroy us and tear our heartstrings out by overwhelming us with pain which uh i'm a fan of or it could rush the ending uh and and be a disappointment which i definitely hope it is not but we'll we'll have to wait and find that out and of course you know we'll talk about it on here we'll talk about it on don't burn the sacred text so uh more to come on that but it is time for us to take a quick break and then when we come back we will talk about the bad batch season two part two it is time for a new era rumors are more and more clones have been questioning the order then they are traitors like the Jedi, they do what needs to be done. Move. You know what makes us different? We make our own choices. What do you need, Rex? Any chance I could use you for a mission? We went over the plan five times. What sort of treachery is this? Stay back! Empire's growing stronger. We should be doing more. The Empire seeks to establish peace and order throughout the galaxy. We are not the enemy. 
let's get to work. Welcome back, everybody. And we are here again to talk about The Bad Batch Season 2. And the three of us on here, uh, we love this show. Um, so this is definitely not going to be a, a heavy critique because we are coming at it from a, a place of love. But we are going to look at the, the best moments, of course, the things that we absolutely adored about uh, Season 2. And we are going to take a critical look at the things that didn't work, the butts, and, and we will explore uh those aspects and i know the three of us when we were talking uh all kind of said this is one of the harder lists to put together um because there is so much that we love and so much so little that we didn't like so it'll be a really fun journey to uh to see the nits that we pick so amanda i'm gonna start with you with our butts and we go from our least egregious to our most egregious uh, so, what is your third butt? So, this one is, I wanted to try to find something that might be different, and definitely a knit. Um, but I'm still kind of left wondering, more than I feel like I should, why Omega is so important. Mm. Um, we know that she is the first, and so she has that pure genetic material, but they don't really talk about that in the back half of the thing. And then they talk about how she's important because she can get them to talk and give away their cloning secrets. So I just, there's something that's supposed to be super, super special about her. And I'm not seeing the clear, well, it doesn't need to be super clear because clearly there's going to be another season. But a little bit more breadcrumbs for me would have been nice. It's not the main focus of her story, which I feel like it probably should be more so of like, what is it that makes her the one that they want to come after? You know, that now they're doing it for Nala Say and to try to convince her and everything like that. But a lot of season one was we're going after this kid. You know, we need her back. She's of vital importance. And then it did kind of just like it's there, like it's brought up. But is it really as important as the, you know, almost entire season one made it out to be? Well, when the show started, there was just, I was reading a lot of discussion on why is she so special? Is it force sensitivity? Is it this? Is it that? It was a hot topic in the things that I follow. And it's just not really part of the conversation anymore. Yeah. Which is kind of disappointing because Omega is is a great character. So... Maybe, I don't know, now that she is in the hands of, of the Empire, I'm hoping that we get more of that in season three of, like, maybe Hemlock starts to realize her importance is beyond just being something that Nala Se can take advantage of. Um, I'm really intrigued by the, the sister idea and how that's going to transform uh, Omega's narrative, both in, in the idea of, having another, uh, you know, woman that she can relate to, uh, which is obviously going to be similar to her brothers, but also very different. Um, and kind of what, what those characters or that character's motivation is in particular. So we'll have to, have to wait and see. Devor, what about you? Uh, how are you feeling about Omega? Yeah, I mean, I think Amanda brings up a good point there in terms of the the Omega mystery in some ways kind of dropped off in this season. I mean, along with other things, because remember in season one, 
there wasn't just the setup of the mystery of Omega and, and what was it? Is it the Hunter line about the Kaminoans don't create without a purpose? Why they create her? One of them said that. Yeah, yeah. And like there, there was that mystery. There was also, I mean, I think it's a little bit more minor, but back when you know things were still happening on Camino, there was the whole idea that oh, the Kaminoans have some sort of contingency backup plan, and like that went nowhere. And so, yeah, and then ultimately, as you pointed out, Brandon, at the end of the second season, when they're going after Omega, it's not for Omega's sake. It's more as a way to kind of, as a kind of stick approach to get Nala Say to do her work. So, yeah, I think there is going to be an interesting question of, I'm assuming at this point, particularly because we're going to get a Bad Batch panel celebration, that we will be getting a season three. I think that's probably more or less in the bag. But that will season three circle back to the question of Omega and why was she created? What was this purpose? Does it does it in some way? Because of course we know everything that is happening on Mount Tantus. We've had all of the illusions, the connection that we know that all that there is a through line here all the way to you know Exegol and the cloning of Palpatine and all of that. Does Omega in some way, or will she somehow be a kind of pit stop on that journey i think remains to be seen yeah wouldn't it be terrible if they were just like nope bad batch is done that that that's it and you just are left with omega <laughs> captured by the empire god i really hope not oh, i think no. there's a small there's a very tiny probability but i really hope that's not the case yeah no no I don't so. would, it's like the cancellation of firefly or something <laughs> oh you just triggered a lot of nerds right there amanda I actually haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list. But partially because it got canceled, I've been a little. Uh, I don't know if I want to invest in that. the heartbreak. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Devor, for you, what's your your butt number three? So my butt number three goes to the the back to back kind of mini arc that was the crossing and the retrieval. Which is not to say that there aren't sort of highlights from this episode. And in fact, a little bit of a preview here. We will talk about the highlights of one of them in the top three. But I think you had that kind of mid-season doubleheader that we talked about in the you know part one episode that I think was really strong. And then you get into this kind of two-episode little arc. And I remember getting to the end of it, to the end of Retrieval, and kind of starting to feel like, is the show, is the plot kind of starting to run aground? Like, it was feeling like it, like th- like it was kind of stuck in the mud. And, of course, like, for Metamorphosis on, it just, like, <laughs> it hits the gas and doesn't stop going. But, yeah, I think that was just a little bit of a weak moment where things kind of slowed down. And it was starting to feel like a little bit like, oh, is, is the show kind of just stuck in this particular sort of adventure of the week rut here so yeah yeah i was really hoping that that would come to more of a head with omega's development in particular like i think her story throughout this season is is subtle but it's about seeing people beyond her her own you know framework of of the life of a clone and being surrounded by clones and everything like that. Um, which I think that provides like a look at how she has a hard life, but you know, a lot of people out there have a hard life and are suffering under, uh, the oppression of the empire and the oppression of people who take advantage of the empire to allow them to become crime bosses and, and, you know, run these 
backwater planets into the ground. Um, so again, like it, it kind of goes to that. What's the purpose of Omega thing? Like, I think that that is something that can come around in season three and you could really do something with, and you can get all those kids to, you know, be their own little army, if you will, to help out the bad batch or something like that. You know, maybe they help with, uh, the retrieval of Omega, which wouldn't that be funny if it was like the retrieval is the name of the episode and then they do that. But yeah, no, it, it definitely, those were, uh, those were a couple hard weeks to get through of like, why was this a two part thing? Like this could have been one episode and we would have gotten all the same information we needed out of it. Um, so it, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit rough, but I can't disagree with you there for me. My number three is, uh, is the tech fee situation, um, situation ship, I guess. Um, on our last episode, we, uh, we talked about, and I talked about in particular, how I wasn't a fan of, of fee and how, uh, Wanda Sykes being the voice actress took me out of it because she was, you know, too recognizable. So before I get into my number three, I do want to acknowledge that, uh, my opinion on her shifted, uh, with that payoff of her being a liberator of ancient wonders, uh, and sharing the Pabu, uh, with the batch. Like I actually really liked the execution of that, where it was not, uh, you know, just her trying to not call herself a smuggler, but she actually was a liberator of ancient wonders. Um, and she just used that turn of phrase at, to her own advantage, um, to keep up a facade to keep these people of, of Pabu safe. So I did really like that. Uh, however, I am not a huge fan of these hints at a tech fee relationship. Uh, I, I personally am a big fan of romance in Star Wars, but for me, there's nothing between the two characters. It feels really forced and inorganic, which makes it hard to invest in. And thus far, it doesn't advance the plot or really add anything to these character arcs so i don't really see the point of alluding to that and then spoiler alert killing tech it just it that falls as it is which i'm going to get more into in, in a little bit but as it is 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 really flat and is just not a part of the story that i really care about but also it's not a huge part of the story so i'm not losing a lot of sleep over it um yeah, that's that's about all I have on, on that of this romance that they're kind of sort of setting up, but also not. I also agree that her, my opinion of her changed. I really didn't like her at first. So, um, yeah, I was thinking it's kind of like a, a really, well, some people would argue every Hallmark movie is a bad Hallmark movie. I would say there's some great ones out there because I subscribe every Christmas to watch them. But chemistry is everything, and there's absolutely no romantic chemistry there. So. Which is interesting when you consider the fact that it's an animated show, and you can literally create the chemistry. <laughs> yeah, but they still have the voice actors. You still got to be... Uh, that's and that's the, true. And the writing. That's true. And I think it might be different if, you know, you have Sid and you have Fee who are always using nicknames for people. So like it take it took a while for me to realize like she was calling him brown eyes as like a compliment to his you know liking his brown eyes it just 
it, it didn't click because it just, again, it didn't feel organic. Devor, did you have something to say on that? None particular. I, I do sort of see your point about particularly the, you know, the, the setup that now ultimately we presume will not have much of a payoff in future storytelling. So you bring up a good point there. So that would move us then to our butt number two, and Amanda, send it back to you. All right, lack of crosshair. That's what I wrote. I don't even know how much to say about it because I wanted more crosshair, didn't get a lot of it, and what I got were my favorite episodes. So I just wanted to see more of them. Honestly, I've been thinking that for a long time. I didn't put it on my list because I think what they gave us with him is just so insanely good but it was weird getting like a crosshair episode that was so monumental and then going like a month without seeing him and it's like are we just dropping this whole storyline uh what's going on with crosshair i need more crosshair development it did hit its stride in the end though like i think i think season three is really going to be his coup d'etat like i I think it's going to focus primarily on him and Omega, or I think it should primarily focus on him and Omega. And uh, at least it should more so than than it does now. I think the show should be, you know, each week you get like 50% what's going on with Hunter and them trying to find Omega, and then you get another 50% of what's going on with Crosshair and Omega and whatever's happening on Mount Tantis and... Snoke bodies and all of the weirdness that's happening there. You know what's really funny too about that being on my list is the fact that I really didn't like the Bad Batch arc in Clone Wars. I, I just I didn't like it. And then so when they announced the new series, I was like, okay, I'll watch it because I watch everything, but I'm not excited. And then I loved the first season, loved the show, and Crosshair was my least favorite in the Bad Batch in the Clone Wars episodes. I did not care for him, and now he's my favorite. Yeah. So they've done a good job with his character development. They really have. Just need more of them. And I like the they've they've while it's been hard to not be able to you know check in with him every week and see what's going on, they've utilized his screen time very well. Um, and one one problem I have with a lot of of uh, television and movies is that they don't really set a clear timeline, so you can't really feel how long this stuff has been going on for these people because it happens, especially in action-adventure stuff, it happens so bang, bang, bang. But one advantage I do think of, of spreading out the Crosshair episodes so much is that you really feel like he's been making these choices for a long, long time. This is, you know, the slow conversion that we get of him. It really is slow, uh, because we we see a, a monumental moment in his life, and then we we go so long without him. We can, you know, while the Bad Batch is going through all of these other things, and uh, I think that's a really, if you're not going to have him in every episode, that's the most effective way to use it is to really keep us wondering. But it does kind of make you want more, which kind of sucks at the same time. Devore, do you have thoughts on uh, on Crosshair and how he was used uh, in this second half of the season? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I do sort of sympathize with what Amanda was saying in terms of, like, yeah, he is, you know, a member of the Bad Batch. 
And so, like, the, the fact that season two did not focus on him as much as one imagines he would, particularly given, you know, what a prominent role he played in season one. Ultimately, though, I've sort of come down on your side, Brandon, which is, like, the quality of what we got with Crosshair sort of outweighs the the kind of minimal quantity. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I fall. I, I did kind of, like, th- there was a moment, like, in the finale where if it hadn't been preceded by such a tragic moment, I almost would have found funny, and it's the moment when they're back at Sid's parlor, and then there's just Hunter and Omega talking to each other, and then Hunter's like, would you like to go to Pabu and we live out there? And I'm sitting there like, but what about your brother? Like, yeah. What? Like, huh? Like, you're just going to leave him? I know things went bad, but like, what? Yeah, after they just were like, we need to go get him. Uh, yeah. I, I One thing I want to do is go back and watch the Crosshair episodes back to back. Because oh, I, yeah. I think that they're... You know when you when you see stuff, it's it's like when you binge the whole season uh, rather than waiting week to week. You start to notice more connections and stuff. So I'll be really interested to see if there's more more crosshair stuff uh, going on. But uh, Devore, that sends us to you and your number two. Okay, so my number two is just the character of Sid. Like, not in terms of being like a bad character in terms of like you know d- character development or anything, but just like is just like a, a crappy person, you know? It's yeah, like, she kind the, of the, works, sucks. The, the batch did her a good turn. They saved her, you know, from the from the guy earlier on in the season, and then she just rats them out. Yeah, it's just like yeah, like Sid, what are you doing? So. Are you guys on this no redemption for Sid train that's out on the uh, on the Twitter? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, do I want it? I don't know, but I fully expect her to be. And I had hoped that they were going to subvert my expectations and make her like some kind of triple agent or something and turn that betrayal into a gain. Yeah. And which maybe I mean they maybe didn't. they will in the long run, you know? Right, right. But I did kind of like, like, the first time watching it, it felt very sudden. Um, but re-watching it literally just before recording uh, this episode, I noticed that there is a moment where, you know, she's at the bar with Wrecker, and she's kind of like, her eyes are, are moving around very rapidly, like, to him, to the door, to the floor, to, like, just you you know you can tell that she knows what's about to come um so i I, yeah i clocked that i did not catch that the first time but those subtle details make a huge huge difference uh with that said we'll go on to my number two which is i feel like they gave themselves an easy out with uh with tech and i am i'm not a huge fan of tech dying in the first place he really became my favorite Bad Batcher this season. But taking it as it is, Tech is supposedly dead. And I say supposedly very intentionally because we didn't see a body. And when we don't see a body in Star Wars, that usually means the character is coming back in some way, which is a trope that I am just really sick and tired of. I I think if you're going to kill someone, you should just do it and make it matter. Commit to it or don't do it at all. Um... And now, of course, they might double down in season three and really cement his death. 
but as it is, there's no body. It's an easy out for them to um, bring him back into it. And I just don't like taking away the stakes of the sacrifice uh, like that. Um, I, I think more seeds have been planted for him being alive than have been planted for him being dead you know we've got the uh there's been no payoff for him and fee you have uh you know getting his his glasses that's kind of a a movie trope of like here this person's dead but then you find out later that they're not um we have omega who refuses to you know accept his death all of these things i think they're really setting up for uh what LO Cool J would say, don't call it a comeback, but a comeback. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm a fan of it. You know, um, if we're, if we're going to do, I think if we're going to do something, we should commit to it, even if it hurts, uh, which losing tech really, really hurts, but don't, don't cop out. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of in the same camp as you, Brandon, where like tech is my favorite badge or like, I it, it was very emotionally affecting like when he sacrificed himself and like I would have liked him to stick around but I do from just the kind of story like make death matter make the whole like the significance of plan 99 like you title the episode that mm-hmm. like from from that standpoint I do hope he's dead and remains so cuz then yeah you do get to the point where like every time someone dies you're like yeah they'll you know, they'll come back next season yeah it's like you know in comic books, deaths don't matter, you know, after, you know, you, you you do this big death of Superman thing and then you just resurrect him. Uh, you've got to, you have to make the stakes in your stories matter, whether it's death or not. Like, I don't think it necessarily has to be them dying, but you have, if you, if you say something uh, and you create a situation, you shouldn't have a, you know pull to inflate let's get out of here kind of situation going on so that bothers me a lot but let's get into our uh our number one but uh amanda sending it back to you what do you got you have officially stolen my thunder i try my literal note is lack of death permanency um i had what is Maybe a hot take, certainly very unusual for me, reaction to that death scene in that I'm usually wrecked by the death of fictional characters. I just, I still am recovering from Kanan. <laughs> like, I can't handle it. And Tech was my favorite character. And when he died, I should have been in tears because I am a crier. And I wasn't. And I thought a lot about why that, I've done a lot of soul searching on that actually. It caused me to wonder just the fact that I think he's coming back. Like all the reasons that you said there's nobody, no death is the rule in comics and these kinds of shows. And then there's the fact that they threw the goggles at their feet. That, that's, that is a clear sign to somebody who watches stuff like this on the regular that that body is there somewhere and it's alive or in a coma or this or that. I just, I don't believe he's dead. And so it took away all emotional impact for me. And yes, I want him to stay dead as much as I love him. Yeah. It's, it is, it's interesting. I was just thinking as you were talking there, like Hemlock got the goggles. 
So, if he is alive, does Hemlock know he's alive? Did he, like, take the goggles off of, of his body to mess with, you know, Hunter and, and get in their head psychologically? Because yes. it would make sense yes. for his character. So... <laughs> Absolutely. There could, there could be some good things to come out of it, but... Uh, Devor, tell us why your number one is also that Tech should should stay there. <laughs> I mean, that is my belief, but that is not, in fact, my number one. <sighs> so, this back half of the season, there's a lot of good stuff, and we'll, of course, get into that when we get into our top threes here. A lot of good stuff happens in this, but I think there is one very glaring problem with the second half of the Bad Batch season two, and it is that it aired at the same time as The Mandalorian. This show, I think that is my very clear, my number, unambiguously my number one butt with the second half of The Bad Batch. I think in particular, you know, I talked about from my bottom number three of those kind of weak first two episodes. When you get to Metamorphosis and then you go Metamorphosis to Plan 99, that is a run that not that is great, not just for a Star Wars animated show, but for a Star Wars show to have gone on that five episode run of just bangers one after the other and it deserved the opportunity to have the limelight to itself and for people to each week consume that and have that talked about and have that recognized as just tremendous work in storytelling and it just did not get that i mean of course there were you know if you're on twitter there were a lot of bad batch fans big community that was hyping up the episodes and sort of talking and tweeting about it so it's not saying nobody was talking about it but it really should have been center stage i think the decision originally to air it at the same time as andor and then the push to then get it so that it was starting to overlap with the mandalorian was a disservice not just to Star Wars animation as a medium, and all three of us here are, are combined in our love of Star Wars animation as a form of storytelling, but I think it was just a disservice to a Star Wars story that deserved to just be out there and have the stage to itself and get the recognition that it deserved. I 100% agree with that. Like, there... In... in, in era where you you make up your own release schedules you know on these streaming services it's not like you are you know having to fit within a framework of when a season happens or you know we have to hit this on sweeps week or what you know like it's not like it used to be you can create these timelines for yourself it just doesn't make sense about why you would have them overlap when you could just push one back or do more double episode releases or something like that. You know, like if you did, you know, the mining arc as a, a singular release, you've already cut a week off of it. If you want to like have it done before Mandalorian, like there's ways to do it. And the way that they did it, absolutely a complete and utter disservice to the show. I was going to say, I found myself enjoying Bad Batch more than Mando typically. I mean, same. <laughs> my, but my Mando love runs deep. I owe a lot to the Mandalorian, so it really was a shocker to me. But so, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Excellent number one. I was definitely watching Mando first because I knew the possibility of getting spoiled on it was a lot higher. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the last part of the, the season was really great. My number one but 
is more about the entire season. I kind of cheated on this, and I, I didn't even think <laughs> about the fact that, like, my number one should should be that it was overlapping. But I do feel when you look at the season as a whole, there's a lack of clear direction and character motivation for a lot of it up until the last, you know, uh, a portion of it, the last, you know, five episodes or so. And I just more often than not was not sure of what their motivation was for doing the things that they were doing besides dying. Um, in season one, we had the chips, we had crosshair as these motivating factors for the main crew, but I, I don't really know what they were going after this season. I don't really know what they were fighting for. Uh, and if you're going to have a show that lasts 16 episodes, I feel like that should be, really clearly established you know uh I, I would even argue we'll see how the season ends you know we're only halfway through the season of mandalorian but mandalorian kind of has like the same situation going on now of mm-hmm. get to i don't want you to you know spoon feed it to me tell me what the story is give it to me let me go on this journey with the characters i don't need 16 episodes just to have 16 episodes. If you can tell it in 8 and 10 and 12, do that. And I think that there's still a mindset out there that they have to have these animated series be 16 to 22 episodes or whatever it may be. When I really feel like this season of Bad Batch would have been better served being 8, 10, maybe 12 episodes long. Uh, so for me, that was just a, a an issue because... As much as I hate the word, some of it felt like it was riding that line of being able to legitimately be called filler episodes. And I defend Bad Batch so much, and I love Bad Batch so much, and I know that there's a strong contingent of people out there who are just not interested in it, and I, I don't want filler to be able to be used against it uh, because it's just going to push people away from the story even more. And I think, you know, DeVore, you mentioned there is a huge, uh, you know, group of, of Bad Batch fans on Twitter giving it the props it deserves. But I'd like for more people to be able to see that. And I think if you have a tighter story where people are invested in, you know, what the arc of the season is going to be right from the get-go, you have a, a bigger audience, you have more respect for the show, and honestly, I think it, it makes it feel in the finale, like, uh, more impactful. We're going to talk a little bit more about the finale uh, later, I'm sure, but it kind of felt like, all right, so we're getting everything in these last few episodes that we could have spent the whole season uh, really, really getting instead of going off on all these side adventures. So that kind of bothered me. Um, but again, like the last part of it is so good. It, it kind of, you know, lifts everything else up. So I guess that means we are into our best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Looks like All it. right, Amanda, take it away with your number three. Okay. So... One of my favorite episodes actually kind of surprised me because it does feel like a little bit of a disconnected side quest and those weren't generally my favorite. But the Zillow Beast Metamorphosis. Yeah. (laughs) I adored the Zillow Beast arc in Clone Wars and it just got dropped. 
And I don't think I, I watched Clone Wars during COVID, so it was a very quick binge. So I don't think that I really registered it at the time necessarily. But seeing that episode in Bad Batch, like, oh, yeah, this was supposed to be a big deal. They had this whole mysterious thing at the very end with, uh, with Palpatine, and, and then it just disappeared forever. And so I just thought it was incredibly brilliant of them to bring that forgotten thread back. And hopefully we'll see something more of that this time. That is definitely a thread that it feels like they did not put in there by accident. Like, I don't think... Because while Dave Filoni is not, like, writing and directing the show, he is, you know, an executive producer, and he's obviously on Story Group and, and is keeping an eye on animation and everything. I don't think he's just like, oh, yeah, bring back the Zillow Beast for no reason at all other than to no. have this side quest. I, I don't either. Yeah, it's... it's It's got to be important, and that makes me so excited. Yeah, absolutely. Devor, you're, you're a Zillow Beast guy yourself, right? I, I mean, yeah, that was like when when ta- I think it's because it, it's tech has the line about this is the same creature that attacked Coruscant during the war. I just had a total moment like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did the callback to that. Exactly. As Amanda mentioned, that thing that they just dangle at the end of that episode when he's when Palpatine's talking to that chicken lady scientist about cloning the Zillow East. And then they do nothing with it. You never hear about it again. And it's like, wow, they made a pull of what, like 15 years? Like, I don't know how long it's been, but like, yeah. that is a deep, that's borderline qualifies as a deep cut. Yeah, really. Because like, even, you know, Clone Wars fans who, who just watched it growing up, who maybe aren't like us and have rewatched it multiple times, might even miss that callback, you know, because it is one of those things that's just put off to the side and uh, forgotten about in that series. And it was pretty brilliant to to bring it back here. And especially, you know, the clone situation, adding that aspect into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have this empire that's going to be looking for for better armor for their for their soldiers, um, all of this stuff. There is a lot of potential uh, to, you know, I don't know, maybe see Omega riding on the back of a Zillow Beast next to Boba Fett riding on the back of the Rancor. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Just an idea I'm throwing out there. Do with that as you will. Next next to the Mythosaur. <laughs> Dan- well, Grogu riding on the Mythosaur. Yeah. No, it's going to be yeah. it's gonna be great. Yeah. Th- that's the next Star Wars movie that's coming out. It's just going to be going to be a menagerie and it's going to be it's going to be great uh devore what is your number three so my number three is something that i alluded to in my bottoms and that is the conversation between tech and omega in the crossing when they're in the case yes. this like this conversation i think really stands out to me as a highlight for I think the back half of the season, really the, this entire show for a couple of reasons. One, I think as a lot of particularly fans online have pointed out, particularly fans who are neurodivergent, they pointed to this moment as a really kind of seminal moment for representation in Star Wars, because you get this. There had been a lot of, I think, um, a lot of speculation about tech really all throughout particularly like even when he's first introduced but then into season one and through season two about the way that his character was coded as neurodivergent and then you have this conversation with omega when they're talking about 
Echo leaving and how they're processing and Omega being like, why don't you really care? And then him saying like, well, like just because I don't express my emotions in the same way that you do doesn't mean that I don't care. Like that being a really important kind of confirmation. And then again, like back to this representation point of a lot of fans being able to see themselves in tech. So I think from that kind of standpoint of Star Wars creating characters and stories where a wide array of fans can see themselves in, I think that was an important moment for that. To a more kind of narrow individual perspective, that was a moment where I found myself really relating to tech. I mean, I had already even before that related to him, but then him just being very candid there about like the way that he sort of processes emotions and that he does it in a very kind of internal way in a not very kind of emotive expressive way is something that I sort of relate to personally because I'm also in a, in a similar position that like when oftentimes when I relate to people emotionally, I may not always sort of express things very directly and forthrightly, or I might kind of just sort of sit on things and think about them, keep it to myself. And then that sometimes causes people to not be clear about how I'm feeling. They maybe think I'm, you know, feeling one way when I'm really feeling the other, or they might think that I'm cold and aloof and don't care about someone or something but really it's just like much like tech it's a certain way that that i'm built and i think what's interesting particularly about that scene about this kind of complexity it's this sort of like it's really not sort of one character and another it's both of them sort of realizing about where they need to go where it's omega on the one hand realizing that tech actually does care he does have these feelings he just sort of feels and expresses things differently than she does. But then it's also tech coming to this understanding of like, oh, I need to be a little bit more sort of compassion of understanding of the way that Omega sees and feels things. Because they have that initial conversation at the beginning where like where, where Omega or earlier in the episode where Omega sort of expressing how upset she is about Echo's departure and Tech is kind of dismissive of her and kind of blows it off. And he's like, well, like, what's such a, like, what's the big deal? Like, and that's sort of a moment. So it's also like, it's a teachable moment for Omega, but it's also a teachable moment for Tech of him having to realize, oh, okay, I need to approach Omega differently with a certain kind of sensitivity for how she reacts to things. And then it's Omega making that same sort of realization in terms of Tech. So I think it's a really kind of, beautiful moment of these two characters really coming to understand and empathize with how the other sort of looks at and processes the world so yeah that's why it's my number three you literally just stole everything that i was about to say like almost word for word um yeah no i i it's my number three too um i i think getting to see both Omega and Tech in their own ways learn empathy and compassion for others is is really huge because Omega spent most of her life around people who looked the same. And here she is learning about how people can express themselves in different ways. And I think that that's really important. And like you mentioned, Tech is learning that he needs to learn to show those that he cares about that he cares about them. And what does he do at the end? The you know ultimate act of of 
letting his family know that he cares about them. And I don't think the death scene hits if you don't have this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just, it, it would have been like, why would tech do that? What's the motivating factor behind it? But this is one where it, it was clear. This goes back to, to that conversation that they had. So that was really powerful. And then, you know, you, you mentioned the representation factor of it. And I think a lot of times when we think about representation, we, we think about skin color and, and the LGBTQ community, both of which are, are really important communities and having representation for them is absolutely essential. But we also often forget that other people want to see themselves on the screen too, right? And that there are a, a diversity is not just about the, the way you look or your sexual orientation. It's about this whole wide range of hu- who we are as human beings. And so uh, being able to get this moment with tech who, like you, I've always always read as an autistic person and personally I've related to as an autistic person was just really more important than I can possibly explain. Um, and I, I was really excited when I opened uh, Twitter, uh, which is not a phrase that people get to say very often, but I saw you know more people saying that, and I had had that realization. I was I was watching it. I was like, this, this is is you know basically them going, yep, you're right. He's he's neurodivergent. Um, so for me, this was my favorite moment of the season. Period. Uh, there are other things that are above it because of of story reasons and the execution and everything and I, I tried to be as objective as possible in creating the the best list but in terms of of personal importance and impact this is far and above the the biggest moment in the season for me yeah you could put a pin on that one for a moment. oh okay all right all we are, right cool, we cool, are cool. Pinning things we are pinning things well while i uh, get my pins ready go for your number two All right. My number two, funny enough, I didn't realize how much I cheated on this. I'm going to repeat myself. And uh, The Outpost. I'm sorry. I know we talked about it. It's all our favorites, right? But I adore that episode, and it had to go on my list. I loved the imagery of him breaking through that snow. You knew exactly what was going to happen at that moment, even if he didn't know it right away. And it was just beautifully beautifully done I, I don't even know what to say about it i just love that episode so much and i'm going to put another pin in that because that is definitely going to come I, up i later. figured yeah i figured yeah <laughs> yeah i'll let you wax eloquent on the symbolism which i can see as well i am an english teacher too, but, uh, <laughs> oh oh i have so, notes i have notes but you have more you have more practice with it so i'll let you say it better than i could have. well devore before we get to that do you have anything you want to say about the outpost or are we uh, i will also, also take a pin from that little like tomato thing you know okay. like the yeah. cushion and i'm gonna put that pin yeah all right my mom has one <laughs> yes <laughs> i think mine does too well while we are getting all our pins organized devore i'll let you go with your number two now So my number two best goes to Dr. Royce Hemlock. So wait, 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 is his name, is his first name actually Royce? Yes. Oh God, I missed that detail. Okay. That's a thing. 
So, of course, in the mid-season doubleheader, we saw the the whisking away of Vice Admiral Rampart, who had been the kind of main antagonist for the show up to that point, and he is, you know, framed for alleged disobedience and destroying Kamino, and is surely sent off to some imperial black site, never to be seen again. And he was already, up to that point, a very compelling villain for the Bad Batch. He was almost in one of my bests when we did our first half episode. And then in the second half, they come and replace him with an even more compelling villain in Dr. Royce Hemlock. I mean, he is not in the best because he is a particularly great person. He is a, the most, probably the most evil person we have seen in the Bad Batch so far who is not Palpatine. But I think, in terms of being an antagonist, I think he is such a good one for the Bad Batch. I mean, for one, he is a vehicle for getting into, you know, what we were talking about in terms of, like, the kind of larger story the Bad Batch is telling, which is the whole imperial cloning, dark science, secrets, only the Sith news stuff that they're doing. So he was a good kind of vehicle for us to be able to get into that bigger story. And then just in terms of, yeah, like, the the character, his kind of demeanor and just the way that he is able to kind of um you know be this kind of foil to the batch particularly at the very end in the season in the in the season finale yeah so that's why i put him the best i think he is a really really good star wars villain and i loved when you have these confident slow speaking almost like whisper uh talk villains where it's like they're not going to beat you up they don't have you know the best uh you know army or whatever but they're, they're just they're so dang confident in what they can accomplish and what they can do that you couldn't pierce that shell if you tried and they don't need to be boisterous in in your face they need to be they, they want to be subtle uh because they want you to lift yourself up and and feel like you oh this this is person's not that big of a deal i can beat them so that way your fall hurts even more uh it's terrifying it's it is the thing that that nightmares are made of We, we we talked about the mother being a compelling villain earlier hemlock is is quickly rising up there uh we'll see you know what his payoff is in the long run like we're obviously going to get a lot more of him later and i kind of like the idea that this is of him being the the thrawn of rebels if you will where it took us a while for the crew to get the attention of somebody of of that level of importance but now that they have it it's not going away and he's not going away uh really has me excited for more of him in season season three can you just imagine the kind of asmr he and thrawn could create oh my just like the two of them talking Talking about Hemlock and and where he really starts to take off leads into my number two because I thought they they stuck the landing perfectly in the finale. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked about how in the season overall I had had some issues in how it was developed, but the finale is just it the the two parts are top tier Star Wars. Like it, it doesn't let up for a second. It raises the stakes for the future. It puts the struggle of the Bad Batch in context as far as as the rest of the galaxy is involved. And so, uh, while I wish Tech hadn't allegedly died, 
uh, I do think the execution of it, pun intended, uh, was actually really well done. Um, it shows, you know, like we mentioned, Tech's evolution. Um, it shows his technical side mixing with the empathy and emotional connection he's developed across the season. Uh, the when have we ever followed orders is just the most baller last line of all time. Um, like, doof, it just hits. And then you throw in the aspect of the villains. You throw in Hemlock and Tarkin and, hell, even putting Krennic at the same table, even though we only get a second of him. Like, it just it makes the Empire legitimately terrifying. And then freaking Sid goes and turns on them, which should have been predictable because it was literally, like, foreshadowed throughout the whole season. But it still caught me off guard because I was like, they're not going to do it. It's too obvious. It's too obvious. And somehow they made it too obvious and then also made it hurt, like, so much. Um, especially when you've got, you know, big old Wrecker there being all sad, you know, and, and has the neck brace on. And uh, Hunter thinking that Omega got away when really she's coming right back into the trap. Um, and And... That's another aspect that I loved of it is Omega. And I think a lot of shows would have had her, uh, you know, go, I need to go back and, and then get talked down uh, by AZ or by her thoughts about tech or whatever. But she did what a kid would do, especially a kid in this situation. They would think, no, I can't lose somebody else. I'm going after them without thinking of the consequences for themselves and how it could put everybody in a tougher situation than they were in in the first place. So I like that aspect of it. And I am very intrigued, uh, especially considering Omega is this pure genetic replica of Jango Fett of what this sister situation is. Is she a soldier or, you know, like, is she just a female version of a regular clone or is this another, you know, uh, what do they call them? Enhanced uh, individuals mm -hmm. like the Bad Batch. I'm going to be really intrigued to see the the character development there. And uh, I like how they use the voice to kind of give a hint of that. I know a lot of people were talking about, well, it's a different voice actress, but the voice sounds eerily the same. And so to get that payoff moment and to end the season on that, uh, I think has a lot of promise for where we're going in season two so, or excuse me, season three. But as far as season two, I don't really know how you could have ended it any better than that. Uh, they, they used the tools that they had perfectly. They didn't depend on, Oh, we need to bring in a lightsaber or we're going to have this big sprawling battle or anything. It was still an intimate story, which is, is one of the bad bats, bad batches strengths. But it also added a lot of context to the galaxy at large and the rise of the Empire. So I don't I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. No notes other than the, the soliloquy I just went on. And what about Saw? Oh, dude. See, that's how good it is. I forgot about yeah. Saw. Like, OK, so on that, do you guys think the Bad Batch becomes part of the Partisans? Because, like, I think that's a real possibility. It could be. Like, how crazy would that be? You know, we're used to having the, you know, the Rebels crew, and we always get these stories of how people join the Rebellion. What if the Bad Batch is about how they join the Partisans and get radicalized? That would be wild. I doubt it, because it's a kid's show, and, you know, turning people into radicals is not really what kid <laughs> shows do. 
Uh, but we also got the Zillow Beast back after 15 yeah. years. So who knows? <laughs> yes, All cards exactly. are, are on the table. Well, I think they would have to split the group even more because Echo is clearly, I mean, he's back. and Anyway, he's clearly aligned with Rex. And he's. I think the whole point is him being kind of that moral compass to guide them. Mm, to that's what a good Rex point. is working on. So. Well, and it's interesting that there is this side rebellion of, like, clones, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that going to factor into the, you know, rebellion to restore the, uh, the Republic? Because the partisans, you know, and all those other groups that got mentioned in Saw's speech in Andor, like they have to find a way to come together. And so is this going to be another faction that we have to figure out how it comes together with the rebellion at large? Like, I think they are sowing a lot of seeds where we could have this really compelling story of the rebellion through the years and how it, it came to be from all of these different segments. And you're going to have people that aren't going to, you know, agree. You're going to have the partisans, uh, of the world of the galaxy who are not going to be willing to meet people in the middle but then you can also have people like Rex and Echo and the Bad Batch who understand really what's at stake because they fought for the Republic they fought in the Clone Wars they they understand the cost of war and they're not going to take it on lightly and it could be a really interesting way to tell stories with the clones uh, in the rebellion era. You know, we've got Rex alive then, we've got Gregor in them, but we could have even more stories during that time period with some of these clones if they're going to follow through on this forming of this clone rebellion. So, Amanda, I think that takes us to your number one. All right, really quick before that, just because I want to sing the praises of the unsung heroes, Jimmy Simpson is the voice of Hemlock, and I was fascinated by mm, his choices. Yep. Um, he could have been a real mustache twirler, and somehow it all, he made, he and the writing and everything made it come together, but it hinges so much on that voice actor, so. And they don't get enough credit for what they do. They really don't. So, that's just a quick... Yeah, it's important, I think, to point those people out sometimes. Um, So, yes, that pin is coming back. It's that uh, conversation with Tech and Omega. And I actually, I had the closed captions on because I watch everything with captions. And so I wrote down the exact quote. And it says, I may process moments and thoughts differently, but it does not mean that I feel any less than you. And for my own personal reasons, which we've all you two have already kind of shared, that really hit with me. Um, I can be hyper-logical and to the point where I come across cold and unfeeling, which is weird because I also said I'm a crier, but I cry over the really silly things in life. And then when it comes to the important stuff, I think I retreat into that logic response. And I feel like my family in particular doesn't always understand that. And they're a very loving, wonderful family, but... I am different than them. And sometimes we've had some big things, some big family changes, and everybody else, all my other siblings are acting, reacting one way, and I am reacting with logic because I feel, I process it differently than they do. 
And so I just, I really saw myself in that quote and it probably needs to go up on my wall somewhere in my geek room because it meant a lot to me. It's really wild how Star Wars has a way of like finding you where you're at. You know, like, yes, I've talked about how the reason Ahsoka became one of my not one of my became my favorite character is because her story beats hit things that I was going through in my life at at different times when I was watching them. And it's having this moment with tech here was really important for some stuff that I've been going through lately where. I was legitimately concerned of of kind of Amanda what you mentioned of what if I don't react the way that I know I'm supposed to react because what if everybody else is crying what if everybody else is is doing this or doing that and I can't like it, it was like a moment of I'm feeling the same things I just might not, you know, like Tech said, express it in the same way. And it's hard to communicate to somebody who hasn't been in that headspace before what that is like, you know. Um, and so, again, going back to the representation thing, it's a huge deal to have something like this in a story, especially, especially, especially a kid's story. Um, yes. Because kids need to... This needs to be inundated in their media to help them to have more empathy and and all the things that Omega is learning It is what the kids will be learning from these episodes. So it's it's just, yeah, it's really powerful. Amanda, did you have anything else to say on that? I kind of took over. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. I was was done. I was just thinking about what you said with kids because, yes, I, too, work with children. And there is just... I almost hate to even say it, but there's a difference between pre-COVID and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think it's augmented by um, social media and um, also tablets and things, just all the the distractions from real people interactions. And so hopefully that when they're watching something on a screen, this can be something that's on their screen and they can learn from it and then have those conversations with trusted adults and become better people for it because we really do we really do need that in this world 100 percent, 100 percent. all right i think that takes uh devore and i to our number ones which i have a weird feeling i know what they are uh devore was looking at my notes apparently <laughs> so devore tell us why the outpost is your favorite thing yeah so you know, we are, of course, all three of us on here are fans, big fans of Star Wars animation. You know, we love it. We champion it. There are moments when Star Wars animation is good. There are moments when Star Wars animation is great. And then there are moments when it ascends Mount Olympus and dines with the gods. One such moment is the outpost. This episode is just, it is... <laughs> There is too much to say about how wonderful it is. It is, on the one hand, just this small, in, in almost like sort of like Trials of the Darksaber fashion. It's just like, it's this, we're going to step away from the big story and we're going to zoom in. And we're going to talk to you about these very small little characters in this one particular setting. But we're going to do this really deep exploration of these characters. And there is so much going on here, whether you are talking about 
crosshairs kind of growing disillusionment. You know, we see this arc where he breaks from the batch in season one and he does it on this belief about how he's being an enhanced clone, he's going to be important to the Empire, and he's indispensable and they need him. And then him having this kind of realization of, oh, shoot, I actually am disposable because everybody in the Empire is disposable at the end of the day. So that realization, that that importance of, you know, the personal experience as being this kind of turning point, because there, there's so much storytelling recently, and we, you know, this circles back to what we talked about all the way at the beginning of this episode when we talked about Phase 2, in something like Path of Deceit being a, another recent example of all these stories of characters in Star Wars who have like one kind of mindset or mentality and then they're put in a situation or they meet someone and that kind of shifts things for them or at least how they react because we've gotten things of different perspectives where something in let's say the outpost we have crosshair and he ends up in the situation and he meets Mayday and he goes through this and he has a change in evolution but if you look at again to use the path of deceit example like somebody like Marta Rowe she has the experience and it causes her to double down and become more dogmatic so it kind of there's a whole spectrum of reaction, but for Crosshair to have that kind of personal experience, where now all of a sudden the the the, the, the kind of hand of the Empire becomes real to him because he has this personal attachment to this guy Mayday, and he has this realization of they're put on this mission and they're made to risk their lives, and then it turns out it's just for armor. And it like, and then the kind of added thing that it's not only just for armor; it is for the armor for the troops that are going to replace them. That that kind of added wound there of that, and you know, I think Amanda talked about it earlier when she brought up the outpost. All of the symbolism that we get with the the like the the vulture, the bird thing. I don't know exactly what it is there. And then just, like, the little details of how, like, in that last scene with that confrontation of Lieutenant Nolan, like, I noticed this when watching it, and it's like, because, it, again, like, the, the little things that grab you is, like, the vulture is initially just circling Crosshair and Mayday, and then when he kills Nolan, and then they do the wider shot, you now see the vulture, and it's doing a bigger circle around where Nolan is. So, like, yeah, that the, the, the change there in Crosshair, his realization... And then everything there about the state of the empire and the clones and this transition away and about sort of loyalty and and, and duty and all of that is just, it is just the, the pure pathos of what Star Wars is. And I think it just, it, it elevates the outpost and puts it, I think, in the very tippy top tier of Star Wars animated storytelling and then just Star Wars storytelling in general. And that is also why it's my number one uh, of all of those, all of those things. Uh, I do want to mention, you know, in that moment when uh, the vulture starts circling over after Crosshair uh, takes that shot, somebody pointed out on Twitter, and I wish I, I remembered who it was, but you can see uh, angel wings kind of as Crosshair starts mm-hmm. to stand up, yeah. which is really, really cool. And making this list i really tried not to just put full episodes as my best um obviously i felt terribly because my number two was two episodes at the same time and this one is the outpost but 
these episodes have so much in them that literally trying to make my list of of my top three was going to just be things with the outpost because it is a complete and total package. And there's three things in particular that I really want to point out. And the first one is the music, which is great across the whole season. Mm -hmm. But for the outpost in particular, I want to really talk about the lack of music. And it's something that David W. Collins talks about uh, with how John Williams is very tactical, uh, particularly in, in Hoth and Empire, about not using music and allowing the noises of the rebel bass to kind of be the soundtrack. And Kevin Kiner does the same thing here, except there's less noise. It's hollow. It's empty. It's a wasteland. And it, it just perfectly encapsulates the struggle the clones are going through and what crosshair is feeling at that time so i love that i also love the the visual metaphor of the avalanche um which obviously has story purposes but visually and metaphorically it foreshadows how everything is coming crashing down on the galaxy on the clones and again particularly on crosshair then you have the moment when crosshair begins his transi- transition when mayday is telling him to to leave behind leave him behind and crosshair refuses that's just uh it's just so great and i love that mayday you know pulls crosshair to him uh, and unites him with his brother whereas crosshair drags mayday to the empire thinking that that is going to be uh the solution which obviously it isn't and the avalanche comes crashing down and then finally uh we have the shot heard around the galaxy which I honestly did not think was going to happen. Um, not at this moment. Like I, I thought Crosshair Redemption was going to be a thing. It just it, it it fits Star Wars. It fits Star Wars animation. All of that stuff. But I did not think it was going to happen here because with everything we've gotten with Crosshair and everything he's put up with with the Empire, he really feels uh, or i should say felt because he, he's you know got that redemption now but he felt like a broken dog who had just been abused and he would just keep coming back no matter what because he was scared that you know the other option was worse which uh you know that's what he was doing he would come back to this hollow empire and uh he came back carrying this man uh who knows he knows that they can save him and they let him die. Um, and that is the moment that returns him to the light. It just, it's all so perfectly set up. Um, you have the, again, the lack of music in that final moment when you just hear the gunshot and a lot of shows would start the tragic music and stuff like that. But again, they just left it silent. It's just like, we're stunned with, the empire and even to an extent with crosshair about what has just happened but we also know it's the point of no return and i just absolutely love it it's fan freaking tastic so i guess that's gonna wrap us up guys i mean did you have anything else you wanted to say on the outpost i am not as deep of a thinker as you guys and i'll just leave it at that (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that will wrap us up for tonight, uh, talking about Bad Batch Season 2. So 
we have uh, obviously plenty of more episodes coming out. We'll have more Bad Batch coverage uh, when it comes back, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, what they talk about at the panel if the panel is streamed because, of course, the weekend is coming. Uh, we're recording on Thursday night, and it's about to be Star Wars Celebration. So uh, when this comes out, all of you guys will know what has happened already. Uh, and until then, uh, you can keep listening to our podcast by just subscribing to the feed. Uh, you get all of our shows from Don't Burn the Sacred Text, which we mentioned, to A Large View of the Force, and so much more right here in one feed and if you want to hear amanda's interview uh you can go over and join our patreon that'll be coming there soon can i just tease that for a second please do i was about to throw it to you but take it away (laughs) uh this was an incredible interview and she this is a woman who has been through a lot because she is a fan and yet because she's a fan it gave her the strength to carry on And she even got a tattoo of a surprising character, and the reason almost made me cry. Go over to our Patreon, subscribe for a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, five thousand dollars, whatever, whatever you want to do is fine with us. And you'll get that content plus more Amanda's going to be creating. And you'll put books into the hands of kids like literally, guys, three dollars puts a book in the hands of of a student and in the classroom of teachers, which is is really just it's an honor for us to be able to be the the conduit of uh being able to make that happen so thank you to all of our patrons and everybody who supports and makes that possible and devore if they want to follow you and uh know what's going on with a larger view of the force tell them more about that yep so you can uh follow me on twitter at a larger view pod as brandon said you can listen to my 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 og show a larger view of the force and you can also listen to me as a co-host on the relatively new podcast space swifties a star wars and, Ta- and taylor swift podcast that i co-host with the one and only meg dowell so yeah go check all those things out and while you're doing that go over to twitter instagram and facebook search clashing sabers and hang out with us there uh so until next time until season three of bad batch comes out we'll have to really just wonder when we're going to get the show about the batch we really want batch eight hi ho i did my homework hi ho are you yeah Amanda has listened to an entire episode of Clashing Sabers. I have listened before. I just uh, tend not to pay attention that's, to that part. That's more than we can say for somebody else's household there, DeVore. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?